Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's so great to, to be together in worship, and every week such an encouragement to hear your voices lifted together in worship. We are in this together. I know we've used that phrase, said that phrase a lot, but it's just good to be reminded that we are in this together. And so honored to be able to uh, dive into God's Word together today. Before I do, I just want to make sure that I announce that today is a communion Sunday. So that means if, even if you're getting up right now and if you need to grab communion, we have those communion cups here at both the doors, and we're going to be at the end of the service today, at the end of the sermon, receiving communion today. So if you're at home, uh, go ahead and begin to gather those elements. That's okay. I'll pause. Maybe I won't preach for a few minutes. And then we'll come right back. No, that's okay. We'll go ahead and dive right in. So go ahead and gather those, and we will uh, take part in communion later after the sermon. So, well, let's get right to God's Word, shall we? If you have your journals, uh, this uh, story that we're going to be reading together, you'll find in there. I'm actually going to be starting to give it a little bit of context. We're going to be starting in verse 13. So we're in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. So in your journal, you'll see 16 through 21. We're going to be reading uh, the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen as well. Uh, but I'm going to start us in verse 13. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13. This is the parable of the rich fool. So let's go. Verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you have worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So today, as we dive into the story together, we are proclaiming the really good news, and there is great news for us today, that Jesus Christ himself embodies the life of God given generously to us, and our invitation today, I'm going to give it to us right away, is this, that we would embody the life of Jesus given generously to others. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories that you have told, stories that still speak to us today. We ask that you would inspire and instruct us to be rich towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many, I'm just going to take a, uh, I love this, straw poll, had a barn or have a barn right now. So I just want to see how many of you have barns uh, how many of you grew up on a farm or had barns, right? And so, and if you're online, let us know if you, if you have a barn or if you grew up. Uh, my parents, my grandparents could tell all kinds of stories because you work in barns, you store things in barns, but there's all kinds of other things that they played and did in barns, right? And so um, I did not have the opportunity to have a big barn, but I had a barn growing up. And I want to show you a picture of that barn. It's right here. <laughs> this was my barn, uh, and I should 
give a, a qualifier here. This was, I mean, I have three brothers, so we had to share the barn. This is where all of our toys went. And as you can tell, it looks really nice and neat because we don't live there anymore. Um, so, it's, so it looks really good right now. But I'm sure there was a time as we were growing up, this is our toy barn, we love this thing, that our parents said, we're going to need more room because of all the toys that we had gathered and we were stacking. How many of you can say that, that there's been a point, kids, grandkids, where you just say, we're going to need a whole lot more room uh, because of all the stuff that we're storing? And it probably didn't help too much that as kids that we would take all the toys that were neatly stored inside this barn and we would throw them out. And because we wanted to go inside the barn, and this was my tower of refuge, I would put the little uh, roof down, and I would, like, take a nap in the barn. It was uh, my safe place, and I, I am not even going to try to fit into that thing anymore, but can you imagine me trying to, anyway. Um, so, so we stored all kinds of toys in there, and now it's the grandkids who love, and the toy barn is still at Grandma and Grandpa's house, so that's our barn. Um, but there's probably a point where they said, we're going to need a whole lot more room, right? So maybe you can identify with that. Now, I want to take another poll. How many of you are Disney movie collectors? I want to know how many of the, those are out there. Do you remember that little uh, uh, square brick called a VHS tape that, that you would put inside of this thing called a VCR? And uh, how many of you had shelves and shelves like we did of Disney movies, and maybe you still do, right? And then fast forward, and what did they do to us? All of us, all those years gathering all of those Disney movies, they gave us Disney Plus. So it's kind of like, okay, all of that hard work, and now it's going from we're going to need more room to we're just going to need more time, because we have to find time to watch all of the things that are on Disney Plus now, right? Uh, but I think the best way to sum it up for kids and adults alike is just the simple narrative that sometimes we just want, want more, can you, can you agree with that? Maybe it kind of feels like this. Maybe this sounds familiar right here. Who thinks more is better than less? Okay, why? <laughs> more is better than less because if stuff is not less, if there's more less stuff, then you might, you might want to have some more and your parents just don't let you because there's only a little bit. Right. We want more. We want more. Like, you really like it. You right. want more. I follow you. So there is our human narrative right there. We just all, sometimes we just want more. And, and by the way, it's not a bad thing to want more. It's not a bad thing to want better. But you can kind of see where this is going with our story today, right? Uh, so often it's easy to focus on the external things than it is on the internal, isn't it? So many times, I know for me, it's easy to focus on, for example, how big the barns are instead of what's actually stored inside of them. And so that's where our story is going today. Um, this story is, by the way, told Jesus is on the road, and I love that because he's telling these stories. He's teaching and he's preaching, but he's on the way. So Jesus isn't carrying much stuff, and neither are the disciples. Jesus is on the way. He's healing. He's preaching. He's preaching the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is so different than what the disciples or anybody else has ever heard because Jesus is taking the world's value systems, and he's turning them upside down. Have you noticed that as we're going through these stories of Jesus, that it's taking all of those values that we hold on to, and sometimes we don't even realize, turns it upside down, and he starts talking about things like radical generosity, or forgiving your enemies, or servant leadership, or faith that rejects hypocrisy. And Jesus takes all of those answers, and he turns them into questions. I know when I teach how many of you still in school just love it when they just give you the answer? So it's like, could you just give me the answer? I mean, this is kids and adults alike, right? It'd be nice if you could just 
give me, okay, what are you getting after? Could you just give me the answer? And Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he taught with questions and stories. So even though, as I mentioned at the top uh, of the service today, even though Jesus embodies the life of God and his generosity, it's actually possible for us to miss an invitation from God if we're not careful. So I don't know about you, but anytime I try to fit my agenda onto Jesus, it's like God remains invisible to me, or at least his activity, right? So if I try to fit my agenda onto Jesus, people did this all the time. And I wonder how many times God is trying to get my attention, but I miss the point because I've already got it made up in my mind what this story is all about. Anybody else with me on that? So we want to be open to not just look at the surface of things, because Jesus is interested in what's being stored up on the inside of me, what's in that barn, if you will. So that's how the story starts today. So if you want to take a look, verse 13, it starts with an argument. Anybody's day started that way today? Did your day start with, you, know, you don't have to like elbow anyone beside you or raise a hand, but maybe it started with something like, tell my brother to share with me fill in the blank. Uh, maybe that's a daily thing. I don't know. Tell my brother to share with me the estate. And so Jesus right away shows what he's concerned about in this story. He says, watch out, be aware, be on your guard. And he names it. He says, be on your guard against greed. In response to tell my brother to divide what is mine, Jesus says something, and I love how Jesus says this. He says, who made me judge over things like that? And don't you just love the Bible when when Jesus, the creator of all things, who really ultimately will judge all things, says, not my, not my thing to judge, and he turns it right back. But instead, he says, beware, and I love this in verse 15, he says, life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, or an abundance of possessions. Life is not measured by this. So what's it measured by? Well, I'm going to read this story one more time, but I'm going to read it with a little bit different emphasis and see if you can catch what Jesus was getting after when he, when he told the story. It's going to be really obvious. But, so let's go ahead and look at that story again, verse 16. We've got it underlined as well. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you catch it this time through? How many times one person can say, my? In fact, this was the bad news that this man's treasure was the treasure of my. It was the treasure of my stuff, myself, my soul. In other words, my crops, my barns, my grain, my accomplishments, my agenda, my recognition, my reputation. Keeps going, right? So my stuff. Then it was myself saying, you have enough. In other words, self-sufficient. It almost has an air of pride, right? I have enough. I can do it myself. And then my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds good. But if we're talking about our deepest longings, uh, maybe he's missed the point. Because greed, and we have this, there's a difference between greed and grace. Greed is the endless quest of wanting more. It's based on striving. What can I do to get what is mine, right? Grace, however, is a posture of knowing that I have more than enough already, and it's based on abiding. 
So it's almost like saying, who's it for and who's it from? The difference between greed and grace. And now it makes sense in verse 20 why God said to him, you fool. In fact, as I was reading that this week, it jumped off at the page because how many times does God say that? It sounds really, really harsh, right? And Boyd Bailey, uh, an author, I really like his insight where he says the farmer in the story even misstating the obvious, that the creator of the soil and his soul and the seed's harvest was Almighty God, the creator of all of that. Sometimes I forget that everything that I have Everything that I am, everything that I long for finds its source and fulfillment and contentment in God and God alone. So life is not measured, a good way to say is life is not measured by what can be taken away. Jesus was getting after what was on the inside, what this man was really treasuring. Life is measured by something that can never be taken away. At the end of the story, Jesus points it out. He talks about storing up for a rich relationship with God in verse 21, a life filled with God's treasures. So the good news again is that Jesus embodies the life of God. He is God's life given generously to us. And I think that's probably the one thing that I want to remember from all of this is that God's goal for us is life. Remember that Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly and full. And that's God's heart for us. And now we are invited to embody that life back to others. So who's it from and who's it for? So this week, I actually, sometimes it's helpful because uh, as you're reading through a story, you can try to pick out different things, but it was helpful for me to just narrow in on one question. The question for me this week was, God, how can I be rich towards you? How can I, what does it mean to be rich towards God? If it's all of yours anyway, and I'm just a steward or a manager of all that you've given to me. And then in the journals, we actually have these verses. We're going to put these up in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and this is super helpful because he makes it very real, very plain, very practical. Where Paul writes, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure, here it is, as a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience, what does it say, true life. That's what Jesus is after. It's kind of like we're coming into springtime, right? I'm so, who's excited for spring? I am so excited for spring and the longer days and the temperatures are slowly climbing up. It is Michigan, so hold on. Uh, but it's like a spring flower going from bud to full bloom. That is what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to give us something that is real and genuine and blessed and full of vitality and abundant. That is God's heart for us. I believe that is God's heart for us. So how's my heart? How can I be rich towards God in return? I want to quote author Boyd Bailey again. Uh, I love his definition. He makes it very simple. He says, to be rich towards God means to treasure what he treasures. I love that. To be rich towards God, as we looked at the scripture in 1 Timothy, is to be rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, and rich 
in relationships? Helpful question, because Jesus liked asking questions, so I do too. Uh, A helpful question is to ask, instead of how can I build my barns bigger, so think of that toy barn that we showed the picture of, how can I get a bigger barn too? How can I build God's barns better? For me, that's an even more helpful way to look at it. How can I build my barns bigger, or how can I build God's barns better? It means to treasure what God treasures, right? So let me unpack this. I want to make it very practical today, and also I want it to be as helpful as possible. What does it mean to do some of these things, to treasure good deeds, to treasure generosity, and then ultimately to treasure relationship with Jesus and others? Still with me? Good? All right, let's keep going. Treasure good deeds, number one. Does God want to bless me? Absolutely. Yes, he does. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life that is full. But remember, when Jesus was on the way with his disciples telling this story, how much did they have with them? It's kind of like when we're following Jesus in life, the more that we follow him along the road, it leads us to a new way of thinking and seeing things. The less I have to worry or trust in carrying or storing up all of my stuff, it actually frees me to radical generosity. So Jesus is not looking at religious law so much, but he wants to see what our response is to his grace towards us. Um, Ephesians 2 and 10, I want to give you this verse. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were made for this. But why I love this verse in context is because it's a response to grace. It's a response to a gift. If God gives us the gift, the free gift of grace, our response is now to do good. We were made for this. The opposite could be true as well. If it stays with me, if I've encountered Jesus' love for me, but it stays with me, I miss the point. Because the kingdoms of this world are all about protecting that which is mine, right? This is mine, and we're going to build it bigger. Build bigger barns. But the kingdom of God is different because it stewards that which has been given. I am blessed, absolutely, but now it's so that I can build God's barns better, so that I can be generous. Treasure good deeds means to embody the life of Jesus, and now we can give that to others. Because greed wants to keep it in, but grace wants to move it out. Greed keeps it in and stores it up, but it's hard to do because God wants to give us so much that we pour it out. In fact, I would say greed cuts me off from the source, but outward generosity and grace not only keeps me connected to the source, but it reminds me who gave it to me in the first place, and God never, ever runs out, and so he provides again and again and again. So that's number one, treasure good deeds. Number two, treasure generosity. And we're going to talk about this word contentment. Here we're moving from a place of striving to keep, to build that which is mine, to a place of abiding, saying, God, it's all yours. And therefore, the result is contentment. And there's a couple of quotes here. I'm going to read these. But author Shanna Shute uh, says, contentment cannot come, first of all, from having a fancy house, being wealthy, marrying someone beautiful, being insanely successful, traveling to exotic places, and I would add stuffing your toy barn with all kinds of good things. So um, contentment can't come from that. But I love this quote, and I know there's lots of definitions of contentment out there. I was really drawn to this one this week. Um, Shana says, she says, to know that God is God, 
that you belong to him, that he loves you madly, and that he is always with you. Changes everything, doesn't it? In fact, she goes on and she says right here, when you know that God is your true source of contentment, your life will be built on steady ground because no one can take him from you. Houses may be destroyed, money may dry up, and beauty may fade, but God will never leave you ever. I wonder if that's something that someone needs to hear today, to let those words sink in. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that God is God? He's bigger than we can imagine, that you belong to him, that he loves you madly. Have you experienced that he is always with you? Because we do know from experience, and I know from experience, that as greed sinks in, I can be greedy sometimes, but as greed sinks in, what, what fades out? Life. Life fades out as greed sinks in. But as contentment sinks in, guess what flows out? Generosity. The more that we truly believe that God is God, that he loves us as much as he does, and that he's always with us, as that sinks in, my life begins to look a whole lot more generous because I want to give it away. So here's a question I want to give us today. We can ask, dear Lord, how have you been rich towards me? I think I skipped one question. It was, dear Lord, what is your heart for all that I manage for you? So those are some good questions. And maybe one of those questions is a question that you say, all right, that's the one I want to take this week. And just talk to God about that. Lord, what is your heart for all that I manage for you? And this question, dear Lord, how have you been rich towards me? Sometimes it's good to remember. So we treasure good deeds. We treasure generosity. And I want to wrap up with this one, number three, treasure relationship with Jesus, with God, and others. And I think it starts here. This is the foundation. In fact, maybe there's someone listening today, maybe someone here, someone listening, maybe even this week, that knows that today you want to receive the greatest treasure of all. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, maybe if you've never asked and said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, I want you to stay. And I want to always be with you. If you ask him that, he loves to answer that prayer because the scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And when God comes in, God stays. He stays with you. And uh, that becomes a part of your testimony and your treasure. But maybe some of you have experienced that free gift of eternal life. Many of us have experienced that and we've been walking with Jesus for a long time but maybe God's also given you another gift, and it's the gift of compassion, the gift of seeing and seeking out the lost and the hurting. So I wonder, who needs to hear today that you treasure them? And I wonder, who needs to hear this week, God treasures you? I wonder if God brings someone to your mind and to your heart, and I hope that you'll take that step and just say, hey, I just want you to know you matter. I want you to know God loves you so much. Who needs to hear that this week? Because after we answer the question, how has God been rich towards you, we can then begin to ask, how would you like to be rich towards God? And perhaps you've already set some goals. When it comes to generosity, we think about time and treasure and talents, all of those things, right, that we can be generous with. Maybe you've set some goals for that, but maybe it's time to set some new goals. Maybe we ask the question, dear Lord, how do you love me? 
and how do you want to love others through me? So maybe that's our question for this week is, God, how much do you love me? Help me remember. And then how do you want to love others through me? And what comes out of that sometimes is, God, here's a new goal. Here's a new way that I want to live out this generosity. Here's a person that you've put on my heart. Does that make sense? So I just want to make this very practical for me as well, because we're on this journey together, and I am realizing again, even as I read this story, how much God has been rich toward me. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, right? And God provides for us each and every single day, even if we don't recognize it, how much that he's providing. And I would go even farther to say, God has been rich towards me in relationships. As I look around this room, there's so many people that I see right now that I am so deeply grateful for you. I want you to think about your own cloud of witnesses, the people that are in your life that God has richly blessed you with as well. And I want to take it even a step farther because my testimony too is also how God stayed. God not only comes into your life, but he stays with you. And I wonder if someone else's story is that maybe you can say, yes, that's part of my story. God stayed with me, that he saw the pain that you walked through, that no tear escaped his notice. And maybe for someone today, you're believing again that deep down his purposes are still moving forward. He still chooses you, he's not disappointed in you, and he treasures you. And when that sinks in, watch out, because the contentment and the generosity begins to flow. In fact, after all that I've done to blame and hurt Jesus throughout my own life, because there's times where I've walked away, walked back, walked away, walked back, it was God who stayed. It was Jesus, not me. So that's my story of how God has been rich toward me. What about you? How has God been rich to you today, this year? Because the good news that we are celebrating in these moments is that Jesus Christ embodies God's life. That's what he wants for each one of us, life that is full, so that we can embody his life to others. That's the good news today. And as we move to communion, I'm going to come right over here. In fact, we're going to be remembering just a moment and celebrating the love and the victory of our God. And so I know uh, here in the sanctuary, we've got those communion cups. Um, and yes, they're a little bit noisy, but that's okay. Go ahead and peel the plastic pack. You've got on the top, we've got the bread and on the bottom is the juice. But as you're preparing that, I just want to remind us of what we're remembering here because Jesus came to give us life, right? Life that is abundant and generous and full. We also know that when we've missed the mark, when we've been disobedient, when we've rebelled, when we've walked away from God, God is the one who stayed. In fact, not only stayed, but sent Jesus. And I know we just talked about treasure good deeds, but no amount of good that we do could ever bring back the life that we were separated from. But that's why Jesus came, and that's why we're going to be taking communion today, because we remember his sacrifice, that Jesus lived a perfect life, and he was raised uh, from the dead, made alive again, so that when we trust in him, life returns. And it's as simple as that. So we remember today the love and the victory of God. If you're watching this at home, I just want um, to remind you that we practice open communion, which means right now when we share in communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you had an opportunity to share with members of your family the meaning of the bread and the juice, we share communion together. In fact, if this is your first time taking communion, welcome to the table. If this is your first time saying, Jesus, 
come into my life. That's a meaningful moment. And we just want to treasure that moment and celebrate with you. You are welcome at this table. And so we remember that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat. And now in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had poured it out, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant which is poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink. Amen. Well, would you join your hearts with me, and let's, uh, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love that has been poured out, for the ways that you have been generous to us. And God, we thank you so much that life is not measured by what we possess or the abundance of possessions, but life is measured by what can never be taken away. So Jesus, thank you for giving your life so that we could experience full life with you. Thank you for the work that you have done and thank you, God, for the work that you are continuing to do. God, we know you're just getting started. And we say that you are more than enough. You are the treasure. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.